You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist at The Post. As the world continues to watch the brutal invasion by Russia of Ukraine and the resilience of the Russia, the Ukrainian people, I'm pleased this morning to welcome to Washington Post Live uh, my guest, an important leader in Europe, the Lithuanian Prime Minister, Ingrida Shimornitsa. Uh, uh, Prime Minister, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hello, thank you for having me on this show. So I want to begin by asking you, Madam Prime Minister, what your latest information is uh, from the Ukrainian battlefield uh, and whether you think uh, Kiev can hold out much longer. Well, uh... Ukrainians are fighting like lions and I think this is the true spirit of people who fight for their land because contrary to Russian troops who are trying to occupy the country, they are fighting for their land and their freedom. So their strength is unbelievable. I mean, I pray every day for them to hold on and, and to be able to, uh, to combat this brutal aggression. But from what I get, I have uh, constant contact with my colleague, uh, Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Mihal. And uh, of course, we, uh, we also have quite a unique international coverage in, in this situation. We see that today, uh, despite the sort of uh, uh, talks about the talks that are happening somewhere in Belarus, Russia is uh, attacking Kharkiv with carpet bombing meaning that they basically choose no targets. They are just carpet bombing the city, residential areas, places where there are no military buildings or no military infrastructure whatsoever, which only proves that everything they are telling about this space operation, as they call it, is a complete lie. So, Madam Prime Minister, in your mind, given this continued assault on Kharkiv, does that mean that the diplomacy that's taking place in Belarus really has no meaning? And let me ask an additional question. Do you still see any diplomatic exit from this conflict that's possible? Well, you know, even when the war is ongoing, there is a chance for diplomacy. I mean, there is always a chance for diplomacy. The question is, is there a goodwill? So uh, from what I've heard from Russian side and what I hear again uh, today, uh, they, they want to agree or they want to Ukraine to surrender, as a matter of fact, um, under the Russian uh, conditions. And those conditions are this crazy demilitarization and even more crazy denazification. Uh, things that they uh, sort of claim Ukraine is doing, uh, um, uh, sort of uh, running a Nazi state, which is a complete nonsense. And I've not heard uh, anything more reasonable from the Russian side. I can fully understand Ukrainian government and Ukrainian president because it's the civilian lives that are being lost. There is a couple of dozen of children that are killed. And, and we know that and there was just a, a, a moment ago, there was a speech of a Ukrainian ambassador to United Nations in the General Assembly. And he quite 
eloquently uh, described the situation on, on the ground. So it's understandable that none of democratically elected government want its people to be killed. So they are doing whatever it takes to uh, at least try to stop the, uh, the war, but I have uh, little trust in Russian intentions. Madam Prime Minister, uh, President Putin over the weekend did something quite uh, unusual, which was to place Russian nuclear forces, he said, on the highest state of alert. The Pentagon responded by saying that this was entirely unnecessary, but it's led some people to wonder about Putin's state of mind. You follow uh, Putin uh, so closely because you're a neighbor. I'm just curious about whether you have concerns about his isolation, his decision-making. What's your thought as you looked at that declaration of the, of the nuclear alert? Well, there are a couple of things I would like to mention. First and foremost, this is not the first time when he's putting this argument on the table. It happened before. Second, uh, what is um, uh, also important, I would say that, uh, you know, it's a typical question where people are asking, do you think he's, he has a sane mind? Well, I'm just an economist, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I do not have any competence in, in judging whether this is a, a, a proof of some uh, mental uh, disorder, but what I can imagine is happening. I think he has a very uh, limited information of what is actually happening on the ground because he made a couple of very big miscalculations in, um, in this operation. First, uh, miscalculation was about the reaction from uh, the Western democracies. He definitely was counting and was betting that if even there will be a unity, then this unity will be in prayers and uh, words, not in deeds. And he miscalculated. And the second one, he was miscalculating the reaction of Ukrainian people. I'm pretty sure that somebody uh, misled him by telling that, you know, you will see a crowd of people meeting Russian soldiers on the train stations with red flowers. And this is not happening. And the Ukrainian people are fighting like hell, and they will be fighting. And I think this was, uh, uh, this of course brings a, a question uh, what is the information that he bases his decisions on? So that's a fascinating response. You're describing a Russian president who is isolated uh, in terms of the information he receives and who's making a judgments that simply don't match reality, if I'm understanding you right. Yeah, because what he's saying, well, uh, there is a big question, can a person realistically uh, tell such a nonsense, you know, not believing in it? So uh, most probably he believes in it, but to believe in things that he's saying, you actually have to have a very limited information to make a judgment like that. So. Uh, uh, there is a, you know, uh, an information or one might say rumors that are coming from from Russia that he is uh, spending most of his time in uh, in bunker. Uh, so maybe that's why he likes those long chats with uh, world leaders where he is explaining his uh, approach to world history for six hours. 
and basically he is not very much interested most probably in what is actually happening with his economy with his people with with the uh, life on the uh, on down to, to earth so to say on the ground and he lives in some parallel reality of his empirical ambitions it's a fascinating assessment from from one of russia's uh, uh, neighbors so um I want to ask you about the uh, sanctions that were announced, including the announcement this morning by a U.S. Treasury official of extraordinary sanctions against the Russian Central Bank. Uh, as we were told on background by this uh, official, essentially the U.S. and its allies, its European and some Asian allies, are going to make it impossible for Putin to tap his uh, is his uh, central bank reserves, his so-called rainy day fund. You're an economist. Talk for a minute about what effect these new sanctions added to the SWIFT sanctions against banks are going to have on the ability of that economy to function at all. Oh, uh, one thing that is important uh, calculating the, uh, the impact of sanctions is that Russia actually is very much integrated into global economy. Not because it is uh, sort of uh, a modern economy supplying goods and, and services around the globe. Uh, it's mainly a raw material economy, but this means that it depends on the global economy to get money uh, for the functioning of the state and to get the components that are needed for their, for example, military ambitions and, and whatever other ambitions uh, the, the country's government is possessing because they are not very much famous for uh, making people's lives better, if investing into civic infrastructure like roads or, 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 or schools or whatsoever, but they are very heavily investing in, for example, military equipments and weapon and 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 uh, space uh, projects and th this type of things and and uh, a luxury for 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 the elite. So they are very much dependent on what they get from the from the other parts of the world. So uh, when people were saying before, you know, we do not need sanctions because sanctions do not work. So I would completely deny it because there were no real sanctions whatsoever so far. Given that there was always this, you know, reluctancy to impose sanctions because we will hurt the people. And so we should uh, impose sanctions that are sort of attributed towards the particular uh, natural persons. Uh, maybe not allowing them to do something to travel or to get to get assets, but it's so easy to go around those sanctions, to have a fake names uh, under fake names, this, the property under fake names, or or, or 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 trusts or or offshore entities, and there are quite many ways to to deal with this. So basically, there were no sanctions, and the other uh, thing was that it was not coordinated between, for example, European Union and United States uh, or United Kingdom for that matter, that was quite known for quite a long time uh, uh, for their attraction of, of Russian money and, uh, and many uh, Russian oligarchs and, and also government cronies were having their apartment buildings in, 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 in UK. So I think now it's a very serious reaction and it is very uh, well coordinated among the major 
jurisdictions. But you see that quite many jurisdictions that do not belong to European Union, for example, uh, and are, for example, in Indo-Pacific or, uh, or other, other places of the world are also joining, meaning that there is a sort of unified uh, uh, accord uh, that something what happened on Thursday, last Thursday, is so uh, su such a big tragedy and such a bad development that basically there is no debate about it. So what does that mean? What, what, what happens? It means that uh, basically uh, Russian uh, government or central bank will have a very uh, tough uh, work. I don't think it is doable to sustain the, uh, the ruble. We see that the uh, prices of assets uh, of Russian uh, companies are tumbling down on, on world stock exchanges. And I don't know if Moscow has opened its own stock exchange, but, but I presume that they did not dare to do it. So basically, this is very painful. And uh, well, we, we assume that this will hurt people, same as travel ban will hurt people. But uh, uh, I'm sorry, I don't think there is a... A, a way to impose real sanctions and not to hurt people, because this war is fought also in their name. So that's a powerful assessment of the sanctions. As I as I heard you speaking, it sounds like any uh, meaningful functioning of the Russian economy, at least uh, connected to the outside world, will be impossible now. I need to ask you, Lithuania uh, over the years has been a place where uh, some Russians did their banking. It's an obvious place uh, to try to evade the sanctions. What are you going to do to try to crack down in Lithuania to make sure that uh, you're not a place where where uh, money and, and trade leak back and forth? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, I would I would say that this uh, the fraction of trading with non-residents in our country was very low and substantially lower than in our neighboring countries. We had a couple of uh, uh, national banks, uh, not in meaning of central banks, but the banks that were not owned by uh, by foreign investors, and those went bankrupt. Uh, uh, 10 and, and uh, 7 years ago, so we had to shut them down because of also dealings with non-residents. So I would say that this will not pose any um, any risks to our banking system since it's not exposed to, to, to Russian business. And the level of uh, anti-money laundering provisions and prevention is very high now from, from the times where there were those uh, unpleasant stories about some of oligarchs using also Baltic uh, uh, banking system for their wrongdoing. So uh, we've been vocal advocates for sanctions for so many years, so there will be no second thoughts about implementing them. So Madam Prime Minister, let me ask you to assess the effect that this war, the sanctions, the shock uh, of of the war is having on the Russian people. We're seeing um, uh, news about uh, Russians in the streets, not uh, uh, hundreds of thousands, but thousands and in cities across Russia. Do you think this is going to grow into a, a movement that's powerful enough to really challenge Putin's policy? Well, I hope so, because even in the crazy regime, in a crazy brutal regime like uh, Putin's or Lukashenko, it's not possible to jail everyone. 
it's simply physically not possible. So I think what, what is happening now is somewhat uh, price Russian people are playing for complacency that was there during the last uh, maybe 10 years. Well, this crackdown on the civil society was stronger and stronger. When Navalny was put to jail for completely fake accusations, where there were uh, fake elections and rigged, uh, rigged results. And the number of people who poured to streets were decreasing each and every time. I can understand, like personally, I can understand it because well, there is this uh, uh, risk that you will be hurt, that you will be caught, that you will be questioned by, by militia. But uh, it turned out to think, I think also for, uh, for, for Putin, there was a good basis to think that basically people do not care. And, uh, and he thought, especially after Crimea, when the support for this move, for this occupation of Crimean Peninsula was very wide in Russia, as a matter of fact, including the circles that are educated, well educated, that could be attributed to elite, a cultural elite or scientific or political. So um, this complacency is somewhat uh, the reason why uh, this crackdown on, on the society is so harsh during the last couple of years, because there's basically no uh, non-profit organization. They've been pro proclaimed either foreign agents or extremist organizations or whatsoever. They've been closed. Navalny was jailed. And there is basically limited options for, for, uh, for the organization. And, and we know that there is also a censorship that is switched on now, because you are not supposed to use the word war in Russia. You will get a penalty for that because not, it's not a war, according to them. It is a special operation, a special peacekeeping operation, which, which is uh, yet another uh, or, or relic or Kafkian uh, expression about what, what is actually happening. So, yes, I feel deep uh, pity for people who actually do not support this. And I feel deep respect for those who dare to pour to the street, although they know that they will be caught, they will be questioned, they maybe will be sentenced even for that. But if there will be no substantial numbers of people protesting against war, then uh, I don't think that much can change. And Madam Prime Minister, are there ways in which we in the West, you and Lithuania, can help and encourage Russian people in challenging uh, this uh, terrible policy of unprovoked uh, aggression by Putin? Look, there were, uh, I would bet, a couple of hundred thousand people who took to streets of Berlin yesterday. And it looks like, you know, they say, ah, oh, Western people, they do not care much. It's only those Baltics who are very noisy about, you know, about Kremlin because they are so close. So they maybe are over, over cautious or over alert. That was something we've been accused for so many years um, and maybe even sometimes called paranoid. And now we see that, uh, unfortunately, this is happening. So for the people who are in the center of the event, for the people in whose name this war is fought. I think it is, it should be a strong encouragement for, uh, for taking uh, to the streets. But I'm afraid that the, the major driver most probably will be the economic situation, because we see that uh, the uh, effects on people 
might be quite substantial. And if that anger would uh, help people to make up their mind, then uh, that was worth it. So let me turn, uh, Madam Prime Minister, to what's really the, the toughest question for you in, in Lithuania and for, and for NATO. And that is, um, if Putin succeeds in Ukraine, and you'd have to guess, given the size of the Russian forces there, he, he will succeed at a at, at terrible cost. What's next? And people uh, ask in particular whether Putin will next move to try to re essentially take back the Baltics, re reduce or eliminate your uh, independence the way he's trying to destroy the independence of, of Ukraine. Tell me first how likely you think such a move is, and then I want to talk about what the West can do to help you prevent that. Well, there is a significant difference, of course, between us and Ukraine in a way that we are members of NATO and uh, European Union. And yes, there was a, a, a bet uh, by Putin also against the Ukraine that you know, there will be nobody for you because you're not NATO member, you're not EU member, so there will, there will be nobody for you. There will be just words and prayers. But what we see, as a matter of fact, happening, even countries that were, that was unimaginable that they would supply lethal weapons to a, a country that is not member of NATO. Now we are seeing that happening. It's much more uh, hard to explain why you are not supporting Ukraine today in terms of weapon supplies than to explain why you are doing this. And we as a country were among those who started to do it from the beginning uh, together with our uh, allies in the United States, so United Kingdom and other Baltic countries and Poland. So basically, basically uh, the big difference is that uh, uh, also, NATO reacted to, to the situation swiftly and quickly and responded with uh, supplying more troops, more boots on the ground and more, uh, uh, more uh, other measures that could deter, that could, use, could be used as a deterrent for, 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 for Kremlin regime. So uh, uh, I think that, you know, we can only speculate what would be the moves of uh, Putin uh, if, uh, if he succeeds in Ukraine. Although I see little chance of him succeeding, because even if he can take Kiev, the fight that will be fought by Ukrainian people will be very long and it will be devastating for Putin's regime. Because this is a country that's thrown down two of Kremlin-installed uh, presidents and elected uh, democratically a couple of parliaments and a couple of presidents, and they cherish their freedom very much. So I don't think this, this could be a long-term solution. Yes, of course, he can place his uh, army, he can place his militia and others, but I'm afraid that then the territory that he needs to sustain in his heavy fist becomes a little bit too big and the number of people will be a little bit too numerous. So I think that it, it will be a very big problem and a very big mistake. But apart from this, of course, we see it in his, uh, in his uh, sort of uh, outlook about, about the world. He is saying uh, that, uh, or he, in his ultimatum, he is suggesting that NATO should withdraw 
all the dislocations and everything that has been placed, not only in Baltic states, but also in a wider Central and Eastern Europe. And then this is a question for uh, for uh, for us as Western democracies. Should we actually, uh, how should we react? So I think uh, there should be uh, stronger uh, deterrence in, in the region. And this is happening. There should be also more investments into, into defense and, and security. And this is happening. And what happened yesterday in Bundestag is absolutely uh, tectonic, I would say. It's absolutely uh, game-changing. Because uh, a week ago, I think nobody would have imagined uh, Germany saying that we are going to, uh, to increase our defense spending up to NATO uh, minimum. And we are doing that for, for, for quite a number of years already. And of course, this is very important because it means that there will be more resources for defense. NATO is not an attack alliance. It's a defense alliance and it will remain like that. But uh, I think the message is crystal clear that Article 5 is actually a real thing. And I have no ground to believe that this is not true. Um. President Biden announced last week that additional U.S. troops and equipment will be going to the Baltic states uh, in line with, with what you were just saying, Madam Prime Minister. What will their role be there? If they're there as defensive troops, what will they be doing and how will they be working with your military? Well, I think that the, the main uh, function or the main reason of the boots on, on the ground and also the the uh, vehicles or, or, or weapons that, that, that this is located somewhere around is to say that, look, uh, we are here to defend this area and this land because this is our, our joint agreement. And this is exactly why, uh, why, the, uh, uh, why we will have additional air, uh, uh, air defense uh, capabilities, also boots, boots on the ground. So they are not here to, you know, to fight with somebody who is just living peacefully in, in the neighborhood. But they are here to reflect the situation on the ground because it was decided before this invasion took place on Thursday. We had a, a meeting with uh, Secretary Austin a week ago and, and also discussed this. But, uh, uh, but uh, I think one thing that is uh, an important game changer for the uh, region is Belarus. Because as you know, after 2020 August, when he faked the uh, election results, Lukashenko had no other options but to uh, become a governor, so to say, of, uh, of a region uh, of Russia, because he basically leased his country to Russian military. And they were claiming this is a, you know, a drills, common exercises, but uh, we were doubting that from the beginning. And now we see that Belarusian land is actually used for attack uh, against uh, Ukraine. And given that there is a Kaliningrad district that is heavily militarized, and if Belarus uh, stays heavily militarized, then for the whole region, not only my country, but also Poland and other countries on the eastern flank of NATO, this is a different security situation. So this means that there will be an, a revision of uh, defense plans and there will be a revision of, uh, of uh, boots on the ground and, uh, and uh, other sorts of NATO presence on the ground. But again, this is, not, uh, this is just to deter. 
because we know that before Crimea, before uh, Eastern uh, Ukraine has been occupied in uh, 2014, there was no real presence in, 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 the, in the Baltic states, and it only appeared as a response to what uh, Putin was doing. And now it is also a response to what Putin is doing. So, Madam Prime Minister, we only have two minutes left. I want to ask you two quick questions for your assessment. First, how do you think President Biden is doing as leader of this alliance? Well, I think that it would be unimaginable to uh, achieve these results that we have achieved without this clear leadership of the United States. So I'm really proud that there is a very concerted action, both on support for Ukraine, also on sanctions. And I very much commend the administration for what it's doing. We feel a lot of attention, a lot of support, and a lot of uh, help that is so needed in, in the current situation. And another quick, uh, difficult question. What do you feel as the prime minister of a state on the front line when you hear former President Trump Praise Vladimir Putin uh, for his uh, planning uh, on the eve of this invasion. Well, you know, uh, there are people who are being killed, innocent people, including kids. So you cannot assess this under business plan uh, uh, criteria. And what Putin is doing, it is just a murder and nothing else. And I hope he will be in Hague. So, uh, Madam Prime Minister, we are very grateful to you for joining us, for thinking through all the elements of this uh, terrible war. We hope you'll come back and, and join us again. Thank you very much, uh, Madam Thanks Prime Minister. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.